this episode of Eyes on Earth. We're a podcast that focuses on our ever-changing planet and on the people here at Eros and across the globe who use remote sensing to monitor and study the health of Earth. I'm your host, John Holt. The Bureau of Land Management administers more than 244 million acres of land in the United States, more than any other federal agency. The vast majority of that land, more than 99% of it in fact, is spread across 11 western states. On today's episode, we're talking with a scientist from Eros who's spent years working to develop satellite-derived mapping products that can help land managers both in and outside government agencies find patterns and manage resources across the western U.S. Matt Riggie is a research physical scientist who's helped develop a 30-plus year back-in-time product that breaks down rangelands into their component parts, like sagebrush, bare ground, and litter. Matt, welcome to Eyes on Earth. Thanks, John. Happy to be here. Matt, why don't you tell us why it's important to understand changes to rangelands? What what is it about rangelands that we need to know, and what kinds of changes have the biggest impact on the lives of people and the environment? Rangelands are a really spatially extensive land cover type worldwide, and in the United States as well, especially in the western U.S., they support a lot of different ecosystem goods and services like wildlife habitat, forage for livestock, erosion control, and recreational resources. Not to mention, they serve as a backdrop to lots of Western movies. At the same time, rangelands are under pressure from climate change, alterations to the historical fire regime. A lot of areas are getting burned far more frequently now than they were in the past, and some locations actually getting burned less often than they were in the past. The fire regime alteration is related to invasion by exotic grasses like cheatgrass. There's also pressure from oil and gas exploration, mining, coal mining, and recreation, off-road vehicle usage, etc. All of those changes have kind of come together to lead to a decline in rangeland obligate species like the sage-grouse. When you say sage-grouse or sagebrush obligates, you're talking about animals that need a particular kind of environment to live in, like they need the sagebrush to survive. Is that right? Exactly, exactly. So sagebrush is one of the important shrubs in rangelands in the western U.S. And the sage grouse, the population of that bird has been dramatically declining over the last several decades. And, and like you said, yeah, it needs sagebrush to survive. My understanding is that sagebrush doesn't just pop right back, right? So if a fire moves through, you're talking about changing fire regimes. If a fire moves through and burns a bunch of sagebrush, what typically happens In some cases, the sagebrush does recover, but it takes quite a while to get back to the pre-fire condition, 30, 40 years, in some cases, maybe more. In a lot of cases more recently, those sites get invaded by cheatgrass, which further accelerates the fire cycle. So it really has a negative impact on sagebrush populations. More on the wetter end, there's encouragement by pinyon juniper forest from the higher elevation. So it's sort of getting squeezed from both ends. Right. The native habitat is disturbed in some way, whether that's by fire or development or recreation. And what comes back is not necessarily the natural vegetation. And, and that can have an impact on down the line. Exactly. And, and not only that, but it fragments the landscape. A lot of animals in rangeland areas require an, a really extensive undisturbed habitat. So fragmenting the landscape up into smaller chunks of area, even if those areas are quote-unquote pristine, it still provides less value than larger chunks of landscape. 
tell us just really basically how satellites are used to track land change to begin with. We're, we're talking about big changes, changes like land cover, right? Not changes in the season. How do you use satellites to track changes to the landscape? Land cover change, we can pick that up. For example, going from a grassland to a shrubland or vice versa. But more important is the within state changes, changes in the quality of a grassland or changes in the quality of a shrubland through time. That would be too subtle of a change typically to result in a land cover change, yet have ecological importance. A shrub patch increases in density through time. These sort of changes are still really important to capture, but they would be entirely missed with classifying the landscape as as just shrubland, grassland, or barren, which is sort of the traditional land cover classification types used uh, in rangelands. So we're looking at the components that make up rangeland as observed throughout the Landsat satellite archive. Where, where the idea to go sort of beyond land cover itself or the thematic land cover and look at these components. Where did that come from and why is it important to look at those components? Yeah, so these these products, we call them the Back in Time or BIT for short. They have been in development for the better part of, of the last decade. The primary goal of this was to improve the, the National Land Cover Database, the NLCD classification of rangelands and then to better understand the change missed by thematic land cover maps. NLCD would be one of those. We're looking at 30 meter resolution maps of the fractional cover of components. And when I say fractional, I mean zero to 100% cover, shrub, herbaceous, litter, and bare ground. Rangelands can be comprised of a varying fraction of each of those four components. A pixel could be called 10% shrub, 20% herb, 20% litter, and 50% bare ground. I actually did the math on that, and there's 94 million possible combinations of those four components. We actually take that a couple steps further. We map the cover of sagebrush as well. We're also measuring annular bases, cheatgrass, medusa head, these invasive annual grasses that are strongly related to the fire regime. So what we're looking at here, instead of something like a National Land Cover database where you'd see a 30 meter pixel, you know, about the size of a baseball infield, and it would say, this is shrubland, this is barren ground, whatever, your product will look at that same pixel, that same plot of ground and tell you this percent is litter, this percent is sagebrush, this percent is bare ground, et cetera, et cetera. What is that useful for? How, do, how would you use that as a land manager? It's really foundational. They need to know how the landscape is comprised from a vegetation standpoint. This information allows them to set like management specific targets and track changes through time. A pixel could go from 20% shrub to 30% shrub, and that, that's ecologically meaningful for sage grouse, but it would be entirely hidden within the shrubland land cover classification. If you want to look at long-term changes in rangelands, you need to have these sort of data. You're one of the authors of a really recent paper where you used a decade of field observations and Landsat data in Wyoming to see how well these satellite products could track the impacts of climate change and land management decisions. Tell us a little bit about that work. I mean, why do you need to have field observations when you have the satellite, for one thing? And second off, how did you do that for a decade? I mean, did you fly to Wyoming twice a year for 10 years or did you hire 
did you hire a kid on a on a moped to go out and check? How did that? How did you accomplish that? There's a lot <laughs> to unpack there, I know, but get into that. What, what did you learn from that paper? Well, unfortunately, we didn't hire any local kids or or fly there twice a year. These plots were measured consistently by the same observer, which is a really important thing because there's an observer bias between different observers. Obviously, someone might have a bias to say this site is more shrub or this site is less shrub, etc. These plots were set up in two monitoring sites. They were about 50 miles apart from each other, and they really had divergent stories through those 10 years. One was in a really pristine, sagebrush-dominated rangeland with only a small amount of change observed. But the other site had a lot of change, mostly related to energy development. A number of sites got bulldozed to build oil pads in in that second site. The take-home story in this analysis was that the back-in-time was able to capture those changes in, in both sides. Tell us a bit about the collaboration between your group at Eros and the group that does the annual cheatgrass monitoring. You guys combined those products to build a tool for the Western Governors Association. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So there's another group at Eros that's taking a slightly different approach than ours, focusing on cheatgrass and other invasive grasses across the West. We're only using a couple images per year, whereas they're using multiple images per year to track the subtle differences in phenology between these invasive grasses and native grasses. So something like a cheatgrass, if the rain falls, it gets green really fast, it gets brown really fast. And if you can see that change happening in real time, you go, oh, that's cheatgrass. Is that kind of what they're doing? Yeah, pretty much. It would have a slightly different phenological signal. That difference would allow you to separate those areas invaded out from those that have not been invaded. So there's that product and then your product, which goes back in time and you just crunched them together like rock'em sock'em robots and handed it over to the Western Governors Association? Or how, how, does, how did putting those two things together help? What did you make for them? We combined our annual herbaceous product with this cheatgrass uh, mapping project at Eros. And also we tied in some data from the University of Montana. They have a tool called the Rangeline Analysis Platform. You know, it's sort of easy to see that these could be competitive products, but we kind of all work together to share data and put it into a single weighted average. Looking at that average across those three products, the error rates are much, much lower than any of our three respective products individually. The overall goal of combining these three data sets was to define the areas that have already been extensively invaded by annual grasses, those that have you know, still been pretty uninvaded or still in pretty pristine condition. And to sort of flip the paradigm of management, management has been pretty reactive to annual grass invasion, trying to stop it from spreading. We are thinking about defending the core areas of pristine habitat and and trying to extend those pristine areas where possible. Where else do you see this going in the future? What is this going to be useful for Researchers looking for suitable habitat for sage grouse, antelope, etc., a number of different species. They've been using them to evaluate trends in habitat conditions and, and even to define what is potentially suitable habitat. What I think we'll probably see more of in the future is more emphasis placed on how the component cover values respond to changes in climate conditions. 
another big push we'd like is to get these data into the hands of private ranchers. They're being used largely by public land managers, BLM, Forest Service, uh, state agencies, etc. But I think the private land owners and managers would find them incredibly useful as well. It sounds like really what you're trying to do is use these data as a starting point. Here's what we know, and here's how we can use that to plan for the future. That kind of information is something that a private land manager would find useful as well. I mean, if you manage thousands and thousands of acres, you kind of want to know what's going to happen, I suppose. Exactly. And I mean, you may have looked at those sites every year for the last 20 years or whatever, but it's hard to put it into context and quantify what you're seeing. What is the next step here? Do you continue to produce back-in-time products, or is this a one-and-done, and do you update them every year? What's what's the next step? And, and, and also, where do you go to find this stuff? We're currently in the midst of a major reprocessing of our back-in-time data, so we're going to extend the time series through 2020. Currently, it's only going through 2018. And then every year on a certain date or whenever you update these products, people go to where? They go to mrlc.gov. Exactly. Yep. So it's on MRLC.gov, also on sciencebase.gov. On MRLC, we have a data visualization tool that allows users to interact with the data and download custom extents. They don't want to download the entire Western U.S., which which are huge data files. So this allows users to, to dynamically interact with the data, download smaller pieces that they may be interested in. Those would be available hopefully on an annual basis, updated data for the previous year by say early spring of the following year. I have got to put, give a lot of credit to the talented group of folks we have here at Eros who are toiling away, mostly behind the scenes and getting these data sets created. So a big thank you to the Eros team and the BLM for funding this work. We also have a number of peer-reviewed uh, scientific papers describing the methods used to produce the data uh, for those who would like to know how the sausage is made, so to speak. Uh, the papers present some interesting case studies on how our fractional cover data could be applied as well. Matt, any any closing thoughts? Anything you'd like to add? Rangelands are important, uh, and monitoring rangelands is important as well. To better manage the resources we have, we've got to first understand the current spatial patterns. Area X is in better condition than area Y. Then the important thing is to extend this knowledge through time to see how or if certain areas are moving away from or towards desired conditions from a management perspective. We've been talking to research physical scientist Matt Riggie about how satellite data can be used to better understand the rangelands of the western United States. Thanks for joining us, Matt. It was nice to talk to you today, John. I appreciate your time. We hope you come back for the next episode of Eyes on Earth. Until then, visit usgs.gov slash eros, that's usgs.gov slash e-r-o-s, to find every episode. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. This podcast is a product of the U.S. Geological Survey, Department of Interior. Thanks for joining us.